0: The History of the World Podcast. Written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 4. The Medieval World. Episode 24. The Profile of Snorri Sturluson. Snorri Stotlason is also the story of how Iceland lost its independence. It is also a study of the modernisation of medieval Nordic kingdoms in the aftermath of the Viking Age. Snorri Stotlason was an inspirational man for many people of his time and after his lifetime. In this episode we cover the biographical story of Snorri Stotlason and find out what the legacy of his lifetime means to us today. Firstly though we need to look at the unique and mysterious island of Iceland and where it fits into European politics. Iceland is an island in the northern Atlantic Ocean, somewhat remote and largely uninhabitable due to the fact that it was formed through volcanic activity. During the very first episode of the History of the World podcast, we told the story of how we believe that the dinosaurs were removed as the dominant animals of the Earth by an asteroid impact that occurred around 66 million years ago and how primates evolved to become great apes, among other things, and in turn human beings. While primates were making this evolutionary journey, volcanic activity in the northern Atlantic Ocean brought the island of Iceland up from underneath the surface of the ocean, bringing a new island onto the surface of the Earth. The people of the northern European region of Scandinavia at the turn of the second millennium have been immortalised in European culture and folklore as the beloved and terrifying Vikings whose influence spread far and wide from their heartlands in Scandinavia to the many lands and territories across the expansive waters that they traversed with great skill. Inevitably the island of Iceland was within these waters and the Vikings explored with interest. Being a Viking was being of a culture as opposed to being of a national identity. Vikings may just as readily pillage and plunder from each other than from others. So the Vikings that landed on Iceland may have just as easily have come from the Viking settlements of the British Isles as well as those of modern day Norwegian lands. Some historians even believe that Irish monks were among the first settlers of Iceland perhaps as early as the 8th century. The Vikings that settled Iceland were unlikely to have been sent by a central government. It appears more likely that there was a more tribal stole to Viking behaviour and so the Vikings in Iceland would have answered to no central authority but to whoever was leading their individual tribe. The cold climate there would lead to the island receiving the name Iceland from very early on and settlement would have initially have been very limited. Migrations came in waves from the late 9th century onwards from Vikings travelling from Scandinavia and the British Isles and other island groups of the North Atlantic such as the Faroes and the Shetlands. The settlers of Iceland lived quite independently from other lands overseas and deemed it sensible to protect their own common interests. And so they formed an Icelandic commonwealth. Survival on Iceland may have required cooperation between tribes due to their being very limited land fertility. Population expansion would not have been possible as a consequence and may never have exceeded 50,000 individuals before the 12th century. Many societies relied on marine hunting to support their diet. With settlers firmly established in Iceland who considered themselves to be Icelanders, there was very little value in anybody attempting an invasion. Iceland was remote and didn't have much to offer to the invaders other than a fierce battle and a mainly barren volcanic rock landscape as a reward. It would be natural that the population expansion brought about local disputes about land ownership, so there was an increasing urgency for the requirement of some form of legislation within the Commonwealth. The year 930 is a very important milestone in Icelandic history for the reason that a parliamentary assembly called the Althing was formed. And the remarkable thing about this assembly is that it still exists to this day as the parliament of the modern country of Iceland. Therefore, it has a legitimate claim to being the world's oldest parliament still in existence. The most prominent role within the Althing was that of law speaker, although it must be stated that the law speaker, despite being a very important and honourable position, didn't give the individual much in the way of power, with that still remaining within the numerous chieftains, with the law speaker acting much more like an arbitrator than a president. One aspect of the Vikings which has captured public imagination are the Viking sagas, which were fantastic oral tales, combining historical fact with mythological storytelling. And Iceland was the origin of a large number of the sagas, all relating to the earliest centuries of Icelandic habitation, but like many other of the world's oral traditions, challenging the reader to decipher the truth from fantasy. Despite this, the Icelandic sagas are still a very important source when looking for details regarding Icelandic history as well as the history of other lands of the North Atlantic. Early life So let us focus on the type of environment that Snorri was born into and a bit about his family background. Entering into the 12th century and the chieftains of Iceland were enjoying the wealth of their island without an overruling royal family or emperor taking all the wealth for themselves. However, this would create a scenario where some of the wealthier families would begin to become more powerful by taking control of weaker chieftains with nowhere else to turn. One of these families were the Sturlunga family clan, whose role in Icelandic history during this period was highly important. The Sturlunga family was descended from a man called Sturla, who was the chieftain of a small town called Khamur. Sturla married a woman called Gudni, and they would have three sons. Their names were Thor, Sigvatr and Snorri. The three sons would take the name Sturlason to denote that they were the sons of Sturla, which was the traditional means of acquiring your second name in Iceland during this time. Snorri was the youngest of the three full brothers, the sons of Sturla and Guthni. He was born in the year 1179. It appears that Snorri had an excellent education provided by another powerful Icelandic chieftain called Jon Loftson, who was also the grandson of King Magnus III of Norway, also known as Magnus Barefoot. And Jon was also a member of the Oddavöja family clan. Jon's chieftain was centred at a place called Oddi, which may have been well known among Icelanders as a place of academia. There is a legendary story about how Snorri received this opportunity to get this education, especially when you consider that Jón Loftson belonged to a different and some might suggest a rival family. Snorri's father, Sturla, was trying to settle a legal dispute with a chieftain priest. The priest's wife attacked Sturla, with a knife and injured his face. To prevent a punishment from the Althing, Jon Loftson stepped in to prevent further repercussions for the priest and his wife by offering to take Snorri into his educational establishment. So Snorri would reach adulthood with the benefit of what is likely to have been the best education on offer in Iceland that may not have been a centre of religion such as a monastery. Snorri was around 20 years of age when he was married to a daughter of a chieftain. Her name was Herdis. Herdis came with the wealth from her father's estate at a farmstead called Borg and its surrounding territory which Snorri took control of before seeking to expand on his influence. By all accounts it does seem that Snorri cared very little for Herdis, taking advantage of the wealth of the marriage and consigning her to a life of pregnancy and motherhood while Snorri himself looked to capitalise on his wealth and apparently enjoy carnal delights with ladies away from his marital home in Borg. Snorri's marriage broke down after just a few years but by this time Snorri had acquired lands and money that made him one of the more important chieftains of Iceland. Iceland, once a peaceful commonwealth of societies, was now taking the often natural route of developing into a hotbed of wealth and competitiveness where weaker societies were being absorbed by more powerful societies and competition for resources and influence would escalate to the inevitability of conflict. Iceland was certainly beginning to head in that direction. Snorri appears to have abandoned his marriage by the year 1206 when he moved to a new settlement at Reichholt, and we can actually see some of the work that may have been overseen by Snorri at Räichholt to this very day with some of the remains of the farm and house at the tiny modern village of Räichholt. We can see his outdoor bathhouse which is linked by a tunnel to the farm Visitors can go to Reichholt, where it is now a medieval research centre. One thing that didn't change while Snorri was at Reichholt was his appetite for women, and he would father children by multiple women during his time there. It does seem as though Snorri was producing poetry at Reichholt. And so he was gaining national interest on a number of levels. He was a capable estate manager with political influence thanks to his birth, and was now reaching out to the people by immortalizing poetry and storytelling that would capture the public's imagination. Political career. So now we know of Snorri's earliest years, we can now explore how he became a man of international reputation. Snorri was a hard-working and dedicated man. His academic ability coupled with his desire to be successful at whatever he applied himself to would undoubtedly be the thing that led him to become a notable individual in Icelandic history. However, there was a strong element of work hard, play hard to Snorri. He wasn't known to be a particularly athletic man and he had very little interest in military engagements, preferring to gather his wealth by diplomacy and clever marriage alliances made for his growing number of children. He was probably quite a charming character with a strong ability to memorise important information such as legal knowledge. As well as enjoying the company of different women, he would also enjoy relaxing and drinking. He was known to be a heavy drinker and an overweight man. Snorri's legal knowledge, which he would have gained from his education, would have undoubtedly enabled him to win the influence over other chieftains and make him one of the wealthier men of Iceland, and also one of the more influential men on the island. It would be in the year 1215 that he would be given the opportunity to become the law speaker in the Althing, which was a reflection of his general popularity. His poetry was sought after and he could equally charm important individuals through the sale of his poetic talent as much as he could influence them with his legal knowledge. As mentioned before, the position of the law speaker in the Alfink may not have been a heavily influential role and it might have been for this reason that we don't really have any information about anything that happened during Snorri's first period as the law speaker. Now we need to switch our focus overseas and to the troubled lands of Norway that had been embroiled in civil war for many decades. During the early 12th century, the Gili dynasty from Ireland had effectively usurped the throne from the traditional Hadrada dynasty. However, the Gili dynasty suffered from a succession crisis, allowing a member of the House of Hadrada to be brought back to the throne during the 11th 60s. In the 1180s, a new faction arrived from the Faroe Islands and deposed the king once more thus starting the Sverre dynasty. The Sverre dynasty is significant to our story. The Sverre dynasty's usurpation, which they would claim to be legitimate, was opposed by the Catholic Church, who supported the Hardraders, and this would cause a political split in Norway which would frequently descend into battle the aristocrats were denied influence over the Norwegian monarchy which was overseen by a populist movement against the aristocracy. The populist movement, which were called the Birkebeiners, would bring a new teenage king to the throne in twelve seventeen, who would rule as on the Fourth, and the start of his reign would be contemporary to the first period that Snorri Sturluson was elected as the law speaker in Iceland. Håkon would show an interest in Snorri Sturluson and his work, but this may have been a means by which to use Snorri Sturluson as a diplomatic ally. Håkon would issue a royal invitation to Snorri and Snorri would relinquish his title as law speaker of the Althing in Iceland and travel over to Norway to be at the court of King Håkon in the year 1218. Håkon would grant gifts to Snorri in return for his poetry and may have even coerced Snorri into writing about the history of Norway and Sweden albeit in fantastic saga form. The sagas from these periods tend to give us a great mixture of history and fantasy that will often leave the neutral historian reader scratching his head about just how much of what he or she is reading can truly be taken seriously. Although there is no doubt that there is some degree of historicity to these sagas, and they are often sifted through for clues about what actually happened in the lands of the North Atlantic Ocean. King Haakon's motivation for this may have been to add more credibility to his own rule of Norway by having highly respected historical accounts written by the highly respected Snorri Sturluson. But his real motivation was to increase his international influence and this would include attempting to befriend the most powerful chieftains in Iceland. If you recall, particular chieftains, which included Snorri Stodlasson were now beginning to monopolise Icelandic wealth and King Horkon IV of Norway knew that by making political alliances he would be more successful back home. King Håkon and Snorri Sturluson seemed to have an understanding with each other that they could both benefit from each other. With Håkon's support, Snorri could become among the most wealthy and influential men in Iceland, and Håkon's position as the monarch of Norway could come with the support of Icelandic allies. Snorri would return to Iceland in around the year 1220 with honours bestowed upon him by Horkon, and Horkon would now have an highly influential character close to the Icelandic court. The Age of the Sturlungs. So with a strong relationship with the Norwegian king cemented in place thanks to the popularity of his work and the position of his influence in Iceland, let's find out how Snorri's life played out. Snorri was still a highly respected individual in Iceland and in 1222 he was instated as the law speaker of the Althing for a second time, a position on this occasion that he would hold for around 10 years. During this time, Snorri would continue to be popular among the neutrals for his writing and he would continue to use diplomacy to climb the social ladder and maintain his wealth. As the primary advocate of a union between Iceland and Norway, he would create enemies with other major chieftains in Iceland and force them into a position of opposing Snorri or seeking their own individual affiliations with King Haakon. Snorri would marry his old mentor's daughter. His old mentor is namely Jon Loftson, who educated Snorri in his younger years. The marriage would have been to solidify his political affiliation with the mighty Oddevejr family of Iceland, themselves claiming to have descended from the Norwegian throne through Jon Loftson himself, a grandson of King Magnus Third. Loftson's granddaughter also came with considerable wealth which strengthened Snorri's standing. During the latter years of the 1220s, Snorri was probably the most powerful and influential man in Iceland. Some historians suggest that Snorri did not appear to show much in the way of action to support the idea of an alliance between Iceland and Norway, despite this being the Icelandic direction that Snorri was the spearhead for. It is difficult to assess why Snorri would have had this attitude. He may have sensed that his alliance with Haakon was ineffective to his own cause, if indeed King Horkon was actually looking for the devotion of all of Iceland. Maybe we're even trying to read too much into the whole relationship between Hawkon and Iceland. We have to consider that Iceland was an island with little fertility and very precariously set up. Local leaders would have understood that there was very little excess production that would create enough wealth to prepare an army and even if they were prepared to enter military exchanges with Icelandic rivals the potential losses to themselves would not have been a joy to entertain. In short, a military battle was just not worth it for anybody. Equally, inactivity and passiveness was also not an option. If a neighbouring chieftain sensed weakness in his neighbour then it might just be worth the risk and if you believed that your neighbour was preparing for conflict then you would be foolish for not preparing for this outcome too. One of the notable opponents of Snorri was his own brother Sigvatr and he was now being ably assisted by his own son Sturla Sigvatson. Snorri was suitably concerned by the threat of his brother and nephew that he would prepare for military conflict, which we realise to be a last resort in the lands of Iceland. This may have only been posturing from Snorri's perspective, possibly believing that with King Horkon of Norway on his side that anybody would be foolish to take him on. It may be the case that Sigvatr took the threat seriously though and amassed his own force of hundreds to counterbalance Snorri's army and it was enough to call Snorri's bluff as Snorri decided not to go through with the conflict. Sigvatr sensed that this was a sign of his younger brother's unwillingness to fight and that the opportunity existed to attack his brother, the spineless Snorri Stutlisson, who fled into refuge elsewhere in Iceland. This conflict would be part of a greater struggle for Iceland. The most prominent Icelandic chieftains would have to decide whether they were for the Norwegian Union with King Håkon or against it. As other chieftains decided to pledge loyalty to King Håkon, it wouldn't be too surprising to consider that Håkon may have seen his personal relationship with Snorri as an increasingly expendable one. So Snorri's lack of desire to engage in military battles was now playing against him because other Icelandic chieftains were willing to fight for what they believed in. It was certainly not unusual for Icelandic warriors to pledge themselves to fight on Norwegian soil during their own civil war for a share of the spoils. So even though we believe that military exchanges within Iceland itself could be damaging for all parties, it wasn't as if Icelanders were battle shy. Opportunities for great wealth for Icelanders was limited and so the attraction of an alliance with King Hawkon may have been difficult to resist for those who were setting their sights higher than their current lot. Couple this with the fact that your rivals were making the switch and the possibility of being left behind would have been too much to prevent any hesitance. It would actually be a son of Snorri, who is known to us as Orraika Snorresen, who would lead an army in defence of his father and against the forces of his uncle sigvatr and his cousin Sturla. So Snorri was safer now, but Iceland was in turmoil. Despite Snorri's best attempts to re-establish himself as the most powerful man in Iceland, he would successfully be exiled to Norway by his brother and nephew, who would now have to battle against other powerful families in Iceland such as the Hökdair family clan headed by the notable Gissur Thorvaldson, himself a great-grandson of Jon Loftsson. So it was now Gissur, who was posing a threat to Sigvatr, while Snorri was in exile in Norway with King Hakon. Snorri's relationship with Hakon on this occasion was full of distrust. Now that Snorri's value to Hakon was diminished. In the meantime, back in Iceland, Snorri's brother Sigvatr and his son Sturla were on a collision course with his rival Gissur. Thorvaldsen. Gissar had amassed a large force to counterbalance the forces of Sigvatr, and he did this by striking up an anti Stullung alliance with a man called Holben Ungi Arnorsson of the Auspierninga family clan. The two armies would meet on the 21st of August 1238 at the Battle of Uligstadr. The outcome was a victory for the alliance who defeated the Sturlunga, also killing both Sigvat Sturluson and his son Sturr Sigvatson, It was after this battle that Snorri would approach King Håkon and request that he be allowed to return to Iceland, but King Haakon, who himself was growing ever distrustful of everyone around him due to the continuing civil war in Norway, Denied Snorri passage to Iceland, fearing that he may be about to rally Icelanders against King Håkon, and instead for his political opponent and father in law, Duke Skuli Borstsson. Snorri would famously declare the legendary phrase Utvilek, which essentially means I want to go. Despite Håkon denying Snorri passage, Skuli would arrange it against Horkon's orders. Snorri would return to Iceland and would find himself politically opposed to his former ally, King Horkon. It would appear that it would be at this time that King Horkon approached the victor at the Battle of Ørligstafr, Gysir Thorvaldson, and they struck up an alliance. Horkon felt that Gysir was the right man to get behind in his quest to bring Iceland under his influence and he now saw Snorri Sturluson as a threat to that aim. King Horkon was able to defeat and kill his father-in-law, Duke skuller which was yet another blow for Snorri, who was now a primary target for King Horkon, who is believed to have sent an instruction to Gisur to either kidnap or kill Snorri. Subsequently, Gissur took a force of men to Snorri's home in Reykjavik in 1241 with intentions to capture him. Snorri would not surrender himself to Gissur, which forced Gissur to issue the command to strike Snorri down. After Snorri cried out the words "Ey skal huchva! A direct protest against being struck down, he would be struck and killed, bringing an end to the life of Snorri Stoddlersson at the age of 62. Snorri was embroiled in the political affairs of both Iceland and Norway, and it was this that led to his murder. However Snorri was known to many as the creator of great sagas and poetry and the loss was felt with great levels of grief throughout the populations of Iceland and Norway. This was the end of Snorri's lifetime but it wasn't the end of the Age of the Sturlungs. Another son of Snorri's brother Sigvatr was a man called Thorðr Kákali Sigvatson and he would take up the cause of the Sturlunga family clan by battling back against the rival families and catching the attention of King Håkon, who would befriend Thor and summon him to Norway, where he would actually die before he could return to Iceland. So King Håkon would choose to strengthen his bond with the man who was responsible for Snorri Sturluson's death, Gisur Thorvaldson. Gisur would be granted the title of Earl of Iceland by King Horkon and he would be very active in pushing through an agreement that would unify Iceland to Norway ending Icelandic independence from 1264 up until 1944. This agreement is called the Old Covenant. The Icelanders would now submit taxes to the Norwegian Crown in return for legislation and protection. King Horkon IV, son the King of Norway, was also known as Horkon the Old. Alongside subjugating Iceland, he would also take control of Greenlandic settlements and came to political agreements with other states including England and Lübeck. He would also usher in a period of prosperity and advancement in Norwegian arts that would symbolise a more hopeful time than during the Norwegian Civil War. In 1263, he would travel to the islands surrounding Scotland, which were possessions of Norway to defend them from the Scottish King Alexander III. He would pass away while on the Orkney Islands at the age of 59, leaving the Norwegian realm much stronger than it was when he came to the throne. Gitter Thorvaldsson remained the Earl of Iceland, subject to the Norwegian crown until his own death in twelve sixty eight. LEGACY Snorri Stotlesen's legacy is so much more than just a political story linked to the latter years of the Icelandic Commonwealth. It is a legacy of literature which has taken on a spiritual existence all of its own. The Viking sagas were mainly the work of Icelanders, despite the Vikings being more consciously associated with Norway, Denmark and Sweden. Snorri Sturluson is considered as at the forefront of saga writing. Snorri's sagas would give valuable insights into the history of medieval societies of Scandinavia and the lands closely linked to it. Not only that, but that would give valuable insights into the mythology and religion of Nordic peoples. Even though many of the sagas would have much in the way of fictional activity interspersed with a genuine historical narrative, their influence on future societies is considerable. Trolls and elves find their origin in Norse mythologies and sagas and they are very much a feature of fantasy fiction right up until the modern age and this is thanks to the unique storytelling style of such writers as Snorri Sturluson. So the legacy of his work can be felt to this modern day with little known about the origins of such things as trolls and elves. The Prose Edda is a book of texts that are believed to have been written to a lesser or greater degree by the pen of Snorri Stoddlersen and gives great detail about the poets and their writing styles as well as a study on poetic phraseology. There is also a discussion about Norse gods within this Edda too. It may be that a great degree of these works were written during the golden years of Snorri's friendship with King Håkon while he was in Norway for the first time. And this undoubtedly was the time when Snorri gathered much information about the history of the crowns of both Norway and Sweden which were contained among the texts of the Hemskringla. Which he may have written after returning to Iceland as King Håkon's closest Icelandic supporter. The writings of Viking sagas, including the work of Snorri Stodlasson, would have undoubtedly conjured up imagination inspiring stories, including those that influenced the works of modern authors such as George R. R. Martin, who wrote the series of novels called A Song of Ice and Fire which instigated the great fantasy drama television series Game of Thrones. Also, those fantasy novels written by J.R.R. R. Tolkien during his lifetime such as The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, which have also been turned into epic films of great popularity. So the fantasy genre of writing and film is now a huge attraction that can owe a lot to the Age of Viking sagas and the work of one snorri sturluson so thank you for listening to this week's story about snorri sturluson the icelandic saga writer who has been immortalised in history. And this episode was not originally part of the, the plans for the Volume 4, but we've included it because it was a commissioned special episode. Uh, thanks to Shane Smith and the, the kind contributions of Shane Smith, he earned the right to commission an episode on the subject of his choice and what a subject he chose. Snoddy a uh, great uh, insight uh, into the history of the Icelandic Commonwealth and how it became a dependency of of Norway. So incredible stuff and uh, very interesting indeed. So we really, really enjoyed that episode and enjoyed writing it and bringing it to you. It was originally recorded in 2021 and now it's been uh, re-recorded and put into the podcast series properly. Uh, So thank you very much to Shane and thank you to you all. For listening. The Ancient World Cup. So this week's match was an interesting one. It was the Franks versus the Picts. And we all got to vote in on the, on the various forums. The uh, Tapper Talk discussion forum, History of the World Facebook page. The unofficial History of the World podcast uh, fam group. Um, and uh, the Study of Antiquities in the Middle Ages Facebook page. Uh, Also on the Twitter feed. So uh, you all got voting. Um, This week, um, it was quite competitive, but there was um, a definite winner. Um, With 58% of the vote, the winners were the Franks. So we say goodbye to the Picts. A very good run in the competition for the uh, somewhat uh, romanticised Picts of, uh, of medieval, early medieval Scottish culture. And uh, the Franks, uh, spearheaded by their King Charlemagne, will make it through to round three. So, next match will be uh, match number five in round two. And uh, so we go from a medieval battle this week uh, all the way back to a pre-classical battle this week. So we've really got to sort of dig deep into the depths of our history knowledge here. Um, Right the way back to the content of volume two. It's going to be uh, the Babylonians versus the Hittites. Now, of course, the Babylonians were the the thorn in the side of the Assyrians uh, for many, many generations and and many different uh, um, re-emergencies of both of their cultures. Uh, The Babylonians also um, were the ones who uh, conquered the Assyrians ultimately alongside the Medes. Uh, They were the ones who um, who took the Jews out of Jerusalem and, and brought them over to uh babylon where they were uh, where they lived in exile until they were uh, emancipated by the persians Uh, the hittites of course were the uh, one of the first iron age societies um, that emerged during uh, pre-classical ancient times uh And they uh, were one of the first Indo-European empires we could we could suggest, or one of the first major Indo-European entities of um, Anatolia, and uh, done plenty of battles with the Egyptians, as well as uh, were victims of the ancient Bronze Age collapse. That's uh, what we can tell you about the Hittites. uh, Funnily enough, successfully um, conquered. Babylon um, before, uh, well, say I I say conquered, they actually uh, successfully raided Babylon, Um, rather interestingly um, with this, but will that mean that the Hittites will ultimately win this battle? We'll have to see. The Hittites, of course, um, disappeared off the map long before the Babylonians did, so then that's uh, in the Babylonians' favour. Babylonians versus the Hittites, look out for your voting opportunity on all of those uh, discussed forums that we mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago and uh, see who will make it through to round three. Listener messages and reviews. So very quickly, let's whiz through some messages and reviews that we've received in this last week. Um History of the World podcast, my new best friend from M. Snerd in the United States of America. But finally, a history podcast that is not a rambling, fast talking textbook. Had enough of that in mega college lecture halls. Entertaining, educational, captivating, and very well researched. Chris's presentation is well paced, clear, organized, does not talk at or down to the listener, and you need to love that accent. Highly recommended. Keep up the good work, Chris. Cheers. J-L-N-Y-C-U-S-A. Thank you very much. Uh, Kay Nikosko uh, from Australia has written History of the World podcast. Excellent. Every episode I learn something I didn't know before. Always a unique insight and always up to date. Great work. Um, We received an email from Annie Gage this week. I've wanted to learn the history of the world for a long time. Thanks for helping me get there. So many details that learn is an exaggeration but i am enjoying getting the general idea and he goes she has a washington usa of course yeah we i mean i could live to be 100 years old and still be able to find material to write episodes on you're right um also we had a couple of facebook messages as well uh, matt black uh, has written in saying thanks so much uh, what a fantastic podcast I've come to the party late but I'm determined to get stuck into the buffet and enjoy it all my interest is in prehistory, but I've always liked books on world history my favourite being Jawaharlal Nehru glimpses of world history oh, I'm sure I haven't pronounced that name correctly thank you for dedicating time and effort to this project you have brilliantly uh, succinctly but through stole that really captivates, captivates its pellucid and and absorbing and at the moment I can't get enough of it. Um, also mentioned, uh, Matt, that it'd be um, interesting for you if if there was a way of tagging up some of the posts on our social media, which is quite difficult because social media is a little bit of an afterthought for me with so much work going into the actual writing of the episodes itself. Um, But of course, don't forget that um, there are a number of, methods of social media that you can uh use to keep in touch with the history of the world podcast the facebook group um always strongly recommend uh the history of the world podcast facebook uh fan group uh, or fan page um which is run by Jenna Osborne and uh, is a great source of uh uh historical um posting and and a little bit of uh a few internet memes are thrown in for good measure, so it's a good, fun place to come and interact with other listeners. Um, also, um, if you want to support the History of the World podcast, you can through the, Patreon, um, through the Patreon page, which you can activate by going to the very good History of the World podcast website um, at historyoftheworldpodcast.com. And uh, clicking on the Patreon link and you can sign up there to make a monthly contribution. As Shane Smith did many, many months ago and enabled him to commission this week's episode on Snorri Stotlison. Um He earned that privilege. So we do give out privilege to, uh, to our patrons, those people who um, kindly contribute towards the project. Um, and those of you who do become members of the History of the World podcast illuminati as has matt black this week so thank you matt who uh obviously wrote in with that last message so thank you very much matt and uh welcome to uh the history of the world podcast illuminati um another message we received from was from ivan kessler who's um written in saying hello from mexico great to uh hear people from different countries emailing in is but i'm a huge fan of your podcast I was wondering if you'd be interested in helping me translate your podcast into spanish there's nothing like it in my language and i'd love to make a spanish version of the podcast um, I could do the translation myself and turn it into a podcast. I would love to have your authorization and any help with the scripts would be amazing. I hope you read this and wait for the reply, hoping to start a good friendship and collaboration. Uh, thank you, Ivan. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps your name should be pronounced Ivan. I'm not sure, but um, forgive me if I did pronounce it incorrectly. Um, however, having said that, I mean, uh, you're not the first person to have approached me uh, requesting uh, the... Uh, authorization to translate the podcast um it's a fantastic um suggestion quite a, a big undertaking and uh, of course because the history of the world podcast is such a uh, an in depth and and it's sort of it's turned into a small business if you like so it's like um just uh, translating a podcast is not maybe as easy as it sounds so anyone who's thinking about doing it um, should certainly uh, maybe think of it as a business proposition rather than a a, a project or a side hobby, um, and maybe if you think about it along that lines, it might be possible that this project could be translated down the line. But um, we may may or may not be a long way from that. So, but um, what a fantastic thought! It'd be amazing to have this project. In multiple languages, um, you know, be incredibly exciting, and a lot more people would be able to enjoy it, wouldn't they? So, an excellent suggestion. Anyway, moving on. Uh, thank you very much uh, for listening to this week's episode. Next week, it's going to be more Vikings. We just can't get away from them. Um, who, who can't get excited about Viking stories? We're going to be going back to Great Britain, and we're going to be talking about the Vikings and when they encountered. Alfred the Great so what a, a, an interesting episode that's going to be Alfred the Great and the Danish Vikings battling in uh, in Great Britain uh, in Anglo-Saxon England and uh, the Battle of Eddington that's going to be next week so until then thanks for listening and uh, have a great week and don't forget be good The History of the World Podcast written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the History of the World website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at History of the World Podcast at Mail.com. And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and tumblr see you next time